Hey, thanks for downloading our podcast, This American Horror Story. This is our review for the sixth episode of season four, American Horror Story, called Freak Show. Uh, The title is called Bullseye. I tried a little bit of a different tactic recording this time, so if there's any issues with it, let me know. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast. everybody, and welcome to this American Horror Story podcast, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host... Chris Husted. What's up? What's... Uh, not too much, buddy. What's going on with you? Uh, not much at work today. It started snowing yesterday. That sucks. Um, and just finishing up a story for NPR. That sounds awesome. Uh, once again, we... I uh, apologize for recording a little bit later. This week was my birthday, and I actually uh, went to a concert for my birthday on Wednesday, so that ended up pushing us back a little bit. So thanks for bearing with us, and Chris, thanks for bearing with me uh, with that, too. Obvi. Uh, where did you, what concert did you see? Uh, I saw a band called uh, San Fermin, and um, they're pretty small, but they're pretty good. So you, got, you all should go check them out at this newly renovated theater downtown that's like been around since the 1850s, but they just redid it, and it's really cool. So that was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, before we get into too much, um, of course we have a ton to talk about. There's, I feel like there was a lot of like open-ended stuff in this episode where it's like, I'm just going to be asking you questions about what you think is going to oh, happen. Boy. <laughs> uh, so just be ready for that. Um, but as always, we, uh, enjoy you guys keeping the conversation alive on Facebook at facebook.com slash this American horror story podcast. And of course, by emailing us at this American horror story at gmail.com and, um, go rate us, review us. We, Appreciate that too, whether it's a critique, which some are, or whether it's um, positive stuff, which obviously we enjoy too. So <laughs> anyway, thanks for letting us know what you think. It helps us improve. We always try want to be better. Mainly we just want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Uh, oh, and I'm drinking water again today just because uh, we're recording. I have green tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at you. <laughs> we'll have to get back to the bourbon insider next week. Anyway, so... This episode is called Bullseye, and I think that it has uh, what we might say I, uh, some like um, subtle meaning besides the obvious. But let's go ahead and jump in with the obvious, which is in the opening credits we see them, we see some workers at the freak show find a giant bullseye in a tent that Elsa wants to bring out. And during this kind of sequence, Elsa gives this big monologue about fate. Um, and you kind of have this montage where she's throwing knives at Esmeralda and Jimmy and Pepper. Um, and she talks about, you know, she says, you must be willing to destroy anything to keep in check. And so I was wondering what you thought. I mean, fate is obviously such a huge part of this episode. Right. Um, how did you, what do you think she was trying to establish here, especially in um, relation to Elsa? Because I think we'll talk about fate in relation to other people yeah. later on. I think we're finally seeing the megalomaniac inside of Elsa manifest. You know, she's been trying to quell it for so long, but after the twins uh, became the the headliners and took away the spotlight from Elsa, she's s- slowly unraveling and becoming this uh, somewhat villainous character within the um, under the big top. And we're and we're just hearing her actually talk about how she controls her fate and how she's in charge and and she will take out whoever is in her path. Kind of a character that we've seen. Um, 
Jessica Lang play a little bit here and there with um, uh, Coven. Mm-hmm. And with all this talk about fate, too, you ha- you can't help but imagine that like she has somehow convinced herself that she is meant to be the superstar, right? You know. And so anything that she does to get there, she feels is justified because it's like, you know, this is what she was meant to do. Any, she was meant to do anything to, um, to get the success that she imagines she deserves. And it's like, she, I get, maybe that's how she's justifying it in her head is that she has no choice in the matter. But she's, be, I mean, she's basically emerges as being pretty ruthless here. Mm-hmm. Completely um, unapologetic about it too. And honestly, not a real likable character. But um, let's talk about that more as, as we go on. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, we open... Excuse me. We open and it's Elsa's birthday week. Um, and we learn that the rumors going around basically that the twins ran away when Elsa took them to go dress shopping, which obviously we knew from last episode that she shipped them off to Gloria and Bandy's house. But uh, they're having a birthday party and, you know, people are giving her different gifts, but... Ma Petite when she pops out. Yeah, that was pretty adorable so when Ma Petite popped out of, the, out of the package in the Ma sweater. Ma Petite is the best. Oh, I love her. She is the best. And uh, Paul, the illustrated seal, gives her lingerie. Um, I, did, I just thought this maybe was a joke gift. Did you see where this was going when I, he gave her lingerie? I had no idea that it was going to go into a sexual relationship between the two. Yeah, and it jumps into that pretty quickly. And... Um, but before we get there, uh, everybody kind of at the birthday party, Elsa's annoyed that no one really is having a good time. And right. it's because they're all missing the twins. And Elsa gets like irrationally angry about it, mm-hmm. um, which was clearly very suspicious. Yeah. Just she's such a very selfish character. I, I'll i be honest with you, especially after this episode, I do not like Elsa's character at all. Yeah, she's not, um, she's not likable. But that's kind of why I think she's being written this way, because she's tortured by her own ambition and flawed completely. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like there needs to be some human element that Mm -hmm. um, still draws us back to her. And I mean, I felt bad for her when we saw her background with like that snuff film thing. Right. I do have to say that since then I, it's been hard and I'm, I don't, I'm curious to hear if other people feel this way or if you feel this way, it's been hard to kind of feel any sort of emotional attachment to her with just how ridiculous. Yeah. And it, to me, it doesn't make sense exactly how she, she brought them in and then now she's shocked that they're good for business and taking the spotlight away from her. She flips so quickly on it. And then the other thing is I, the fact that everyone's missing the twins so much, it, that seems just a little bizarre to me just because I haven't really seen that connection that the twins had with everyone. <laughs> I don't know. Did, no, how I'm did thinking... you feel about that? It felt kind of out of the blue. I, I agree with you too. I like, obviously I feel them like missing the business. The twins probably brought mm-hmm. in because they were like the stars of the whole show. So right. maybe that's what we're really seeing, but no, it didn't exactly seem like they were like the, you know, the favorites of everybody at the exactly. show necessarily. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I mean, they were a little bit, especially, you know, dot at some points was kind of, a, yeah, kind of a dick to other people <laughs> at the freak show. So I, I agree with you. I'm not so sure how I feel about that either. Uh, excuse me but um it was a lot of the whole episode was a lot of people saying oh we miss them we love them they're great where did they go it's like what anyway yeah yeah um so we see elsa and paul have yeah a sexual appear apparently like an ongoing sexual relationship um secret sexual relationship um which was kind of surprising and i do think it's pretty cool because i think the guy who plays paul is actually he's a very good actor i think i thought he did it he was great in this episode i thought absolutely between him and ma petite i i loved it 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, Elsa says that we can't fall in love. Um, and I was wondering at first why she, why she said that, like what her reasoning for why they can't fall in love and why they had to keep it all secret was. But then this line, this line comes up and it makes it pretty clear. She says, when I have a normal, you should, she basically says, you know, you should come to Hollywood with me. And then she says, when I have a normal suitor, we can pretend that you are my chauffeur. (laughs) (laughs) Because she sees him as a freak. Right. And it's like, well, you're fine while you're here and while I'm stuck here. But when I'm in the big time, you know, I'm going to have to have a normal guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she's just so delusional. It's pretty ridiculous. And I felt really bad for him. Um, but then it was kind of cool to see that Paul actually uh, has a real girl, um, candy a candy striper, yeah. who la- last we saw was like threatening to go to the police about the freak show after she was involved in a drug induced orgy. orgy with the freaks. Um, but apparently she found love in that drug-induced orgy in the form of Paul. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he confesses that he's in love with her and he wants to get to really know her. He doesn't want it to just be a sexual relationship or something. And this is where I thought his, like, acting was really outstanding. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, also, were you surprised to see the candy striper again? I kind of thought she was just supposed to... Yeah, I thought she was going to be gone too, but I, I, we should have known better with you know this series people always pop back up yeah um but apparently you know she has a very angry father Mm -hmm. um who bangs on the door and is wondering who's in there and obviously paul hides and stuff but he kind of yells at her for having run away to the freak show initially but also just for having an attitude and all this different stuff um clearly daddy has some intense issues and so i was wondering if you if you had a feel like if if you had to guess like what the background on this relationship is i almost felt that like I don't know. He's kind of, he seems like a guy who just has violent tendencies towards women. Maybe like, like he beats his wife or, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like Del, Del almost, you know, just in his possessiveness. Mm-hmm. And, we, and that's, maybe that's, and that's the theme we see, we've seen in this season is like the possessiveness of, of men, of women kind of. Yeah. I think also the, what's the identity of family? Because Elsa talks a lot about family and this is the family and this is your family now. And this is this girl's actual family, her father. And he's trying to prevent her from leaving the family, just like Elsa's trying to prevent people from falling apart in their family. So I think that has something Mm -hmm. to do with it, too, that theme. And kind of right. And kind of the concept of what exactly does family mean? Is it blood relation, even if you have nothing in common with those people or those people disown you Mm -hmm. or are terrible to you? Or is it people who, you know, you you can rely on and you feel comfortable with? Yeah, exactly. Um, So I think you're right. I think that's another ongoing theme. Uh, Elsa does sing another song in this episode, September Song. It's an older song from 1938. I mean, Tony Bennett uh, has sang it. Um, Frank Sinatra has sung it. It was interesting that they slipped in an older song, and I was wondering if you thought there was any significance to that. You know, I, I should have looked something up on that. I, I didn't. I, I just thought it w- was really pretty because it wasn't like this performance piece. It was just her singing to uh, Paul uh, mm-hmm. saying well, – I think she was trying to audition it maybe as a possible uh, song that she would perform on TV or for the show. But mm-hmm. it was just – it was really pretty, and I'm glad it was short too. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you're right. I think she mentions that that's more of a classic that she can feed to the TV audiences. Mm-hmm. But I also thought it was interesting that um, this, like her singing, I thought in this part was actually it wasn't so bad. Like her, you know, when she great. sings the other songs, it's not that she's terrible when she sings. No, Life on Mars. I mean, it's it's over the top when the people throw popcorn at her and crap like that. But this is, I mean, she, I thought she actually did this song pretty well. So maybe it's just like she's more suited to the older stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. 
Um, so I, I, I mean, I thought this integration of music was not so bad. And I agree with you. I'm glad it was short and not like another minute and a half kind of thing we had to sit through. Um, but Elsa smells that Venetian romance uh, perfume on Paul, which is a um, perfume that the candy striper wears and immediately t- like knows that he has some other lover. And so they kind of get into a little bit of a fight here. And um, Paul is suspicious of her. He doesn't really seem to love her. And so why, first of all, I was going to ask you, why is Paul in this relationship with Elsa? Mm. Good question. I don't know. Maybe it started before the candy striper. So it was just something that's been ongoing. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. they're both humans. They need to satisfy some of their urges. But since he's been with the candy striper, he's been maybe edging away from that, the Elsa relationship. Uh, and now this is, and he's kind of seeing her for who she really is. Cause he's got this mm-hmm. intimate look at her and her desires that a lot of the other people uh, in the show don't have. That's true. Also, she is obviously so heavy handed in the way Elsa, I mean, in the way that she kind of lords over people for, the um, service she did to them by like taking them in, you know, into the freak show and like giving them a new life. And so maybe, you know, it was like a, he felt kind of so until he learned about the real her, he just felt so indebted to her. That was kind of part of it. I can see that. But anyway, he's past that at this point and he can, you know, he demands to know where the twins are is doesn't trust her at all. And she has a tantrum um, and she calls everybody, you know, into the, she calls everybody into the big top and calls them all ungrateful freaks and she loses um, it so i mean this is all very there are a couple things were annoying to me about this part mm-hmm. the first one was that everyone was like so willing to bend over backwards to yeah. um be like we're not mad at you else so what can we do to prove <laughs> to you that we still love you it was i just thought that was so dumb because i mean clearly they had every reason to be suspicious of her anyway um and also, like, what is Elsa's real motive for having this freak show in the first place? Um, I, that that confuses, you know, why did she start this freak? Some of the stuff she she says about the freaks here, and maybe that was just her anger talking. Uh, maybe it's because she f- secretly feels like a freak, but, like, is trying to cover that up. Yeah. Um, but it I, made me think about that a little bit. I kind of thought, you know, later on in the episode, we hear about this older sister who died, which that came out of the blue, too, and I thought was a little bit of a ploy or device to use to make us care about Elsa a little bit. Didn't work on me, but um, so she had to, since her sister died and her parents kind of were never the same, she had to create her own family and this is how she did it. Mm-hmm. She wanted in people who are inferior in her eyes, maybe. Yeah. That depended. And so on to, right. I think that's a good point. And so to prove their trust, Elsa wants somebody to strap themselves to the spinning bullseye so she can throw <laughs> nine. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, who's going to do it? Like, if I was there, I'd be like, yo, none of us are doing that. Yeah. We're out. <laughs> like that. And then what does that have to do with trust anyway? I mean, I she could have just like, if her hand slipped, she could kill you. <laughs> but uh, so that was pretty funny. But then, very cute. Obviously, Paul insists that he's the right person to do it. What is Paul thinking at this point? Like, is she, she's not going to throw a knife at me in front of everybody else? Or, or I mean, I wanted to ask you why he he you think he volunteered? Because obviously, Jimmy says he'll do it first, and Paul's like, "No, it should be me." 
because he's maybe maybe he feels responsible for set for setting her off because she you know she explodes after he kind of lets it slip that everyone thinks that she had something to do with the twins mm-hmm. disappearing. I kind of felt like it wasn't her. His reasoning was not so nice. I kind of felt like maybe the reason he was doing it is that he was like daring her to hit him with a knife, oh. and he was he was like, like he was like if you, you know, when you have this opportunity, and you're throwing knives at me, and you're so pissed at me, it's going to be awful hard for you to avoid, you know, killing me in such a way that you can make it look like an accident. But then people are going to be pissed at you and and maybe know know you for who you truly are, kind of. Right. Um, He's saying. So I think maybe it was kind of daring her. Yeah, he's saying, Elsa, come at me. Come at me. Come at me, bro. And so she does. <laughs> and they make it super dramatic, and she throws a knife right into his stomach. Um, was- so this is what I was going to ask you. Did she mean to, or was it an accident? That is what I was going to ask you, too. Dang it. Okay, so here, first things first. Um, the way this was filmed, the tension was great. They did a fun job with it. Um, the other thing I would say is I love the point of view from Paul as the, it's spinning, so you see Elsa uh as the focal point but you're, everything is spinning around thought that was great kind of reminded me of like saw or something like that uh uh-huh. but i tried to read her face as well as i could after it happens and i can't tell but i feel like i think she did it on purpose what do you think oh uh, i think she did too i think she <laughs> did too i think that you know he dared her to do it and she was in it he it worked she couldn't resist throwing the you know trying to kill him and like her true self came, even though like she obviously made it seem like it was an accident. Right. uh, It was pretty clear that people were not happy with her after that. Wasn't there, there was something, um, I can't remember if it was, was it coven or was it asylum where something happens and you and I were trying to figure out if she did it on purpose or not. I think it was coven. There's something else that Jessica Lange's character did in one of them. And we tried to read her face to see if she did it on purpose or not. Anyway, it reminded me of that. I couldn't remember the exact thing. I'm sure our listeners totally remember what I'm talking about. But there's an instance. she kills. I'm sure she kills somebody else too, and we were probably wondering whether yeah, we're like, that was oh, did she plan that or did she not? Oh, when she stabs Madison, slashes her throat. Oh yeah, whether that was yes. was that intentional or not. I remember we wrestled with that one for like two or three episodes. Anyway, yeah, this kind of reminds me yeah. of that. And I think that one was kind of intentional too, actually. <laughs> and I always thought it wasn't. <laughs> Or yeah. Anyway, but this one we agree um, on. Yes, and so um, you know, Paul is like in the well, like okay, when he they pull the knife out of him and like he has that oozing stomach. Oh. Wound, I thought that he was going to die like immediately. Me too. I have, especially when they didn't call the like the doctor. Did, you know, Elsa didn't actually call the doctor or whatever, and so he's just like there slowly dying. Um, he must be a pretty tough. Yeah, that's dude. a good point too. Like. Um, that the fact that she doesn't even call the doctor or the ambulance. So yeah, she definitely meant to do this on purpose. Well, I mean, later on, I think she whispers to him that she wouldn't shed a tear if he was dead. Yeah. Um, Damn. So so she's she's pretty hard. She's pretty heartless. Um, But Maggie, you know, was wondering where Paul is. I think Maggie's the name of the candy striper, right? No, Maggie, Um, Maggie's Maggie Esmeralda. Oh, Maggie's Esmeralda. Um, Sorry. I I apologize for getting that. I forget the candy striper's Um, name. The candy striper runs, slips out of her house, and um, her dad catches her leaving and like pulls a shotgun on her, which was only reinforces my belief that dad has is like some real intense anger issues. Uh, but she declares that she's in love with somebody and that she's tired of her middle class hell and runs out. Um, so, real quickly, what is 
Why is dad so creepy crazy? Um, what do you think is going to happen with him coming up? Because that was kind of last we see of him, but I in this episode, but I do I know that's not the last we're going to see of him in. This he might show, he might come so. back looking for her. Uh, I'm you think he's going to go to the freak show and kill somebody or something and, like yeah, that? Yeah, looking for her. Show. Yeah, I think so. And maybe why why he is the way he is? I mean, I think maybe it's part of its historical context. It's 1953, and you know. She's a nice little white girl, and she wants to go hang out with this Paul the Illustrated Seal. And that, well, he doesn't know who it is. He just doesn't want mm-hmm. her to go, so he's just very possessive. But yeah. why would he hide? Why would she hide it from him unless there's something like wrong? Like he's not of the right race or the right uh, economic class or whatever. Right. Exactly. So but, yeah, I agree. We'll see him again, probably coming after to find her. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, Jimmy ends up. Um, oh, wait. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. Uh, so you know, back at the tent, Paul is slowly dying. Elsa has him kind of stoned on opium or whatever. This is when we learn the ambulance isn't coming, and she tells him that she wouldn't shed a tear if he dies. And that's when the candy striper runs in um, to see him, and then gets you know really upset and. Yeah. Elsa kind of feels betrayed. Elsa feels betrayed. I guess she feels betrayed. Does she feel betrayed because he doesn't trust her? Or does he feel she feel betrayed because he's sleeping with someone else? Both. Both. But I think the trust one hurts more. Except that that one's justified, which is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So elsewhere, uh, Jimmy kind of confronts Ethel about the doctor never coming. And Ethel up until this point is like, I'm not going to question Elsa, Elsa, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when we have the scene with Ethel and Elsa alone after Mm. Ethel has kind of made her this cake. And she, you know, no one else wants to see Elsa because they're pissed at her. So in some ways, Paul's kind of trick worked. Um, And this is when we hear the story about Elsa saying she had a sister who died as an infant, which I don't even know if I believe or if she's just bullshitting at this point to make people feel bad for her. Um, and how, you know, she created this family with the freaks who are all her babies, even though she treats them like shit, really. Right. Um, and and thinks that she's separate. Right. And so what does Ethel end up saying to her? Well, I mean, she says, Ethel, you're like my sister, you know, like. Right. Yeah. But then Ethel Ethel says some nice things and then ultimately says, um, but (laughs) I will kill you if you lied about those girls, those twins. I will kill you with my own two hands. Yep. Yeah. So, obviously, Jimmy found that out pretty quick. And so, Elsa's going to be on the chopping block pretty quick here. Yep. Um, and Elsa just kind of, her last line of the whole episode is, I just want to be loved. Yeah. That was and nice I was going to ask, line. it was. And I was going to ask you, how does this line tie into um, the kind of the, the theme of, of fate and everything that she makes such a huge point in this epi- of in this episode? What do you think? I mean... So if we look at her career trajectory, she was like a lady of the night for a while trying to please people, trying to get people to, you know, kind of love her with their bodies. And now she's trying to get people to love her for her talent. So she's she's been on this career path where she's been searching for someone, you know, some group, I think, uh, to really respect her and love her. Uh, as far as fate, she's been trying to control that trajectory as much as she can but when people start loving other people more in front of her she gets really uh upset and jealous just like the all the freaks did with the twins and maybe a little bit how paul did with the candy strapper girl 
you know, she needs to be priority number one for everyone. And that just mm-hmm. isn't always happening for her. And, and you can see her unravel as it does. What do you think? You know, I think that you're definitely right about that. And I think that, I think that, you know, Elsa has used fate as an excuse partly for why she hasn't been, you know, for why she hasn't had the success that she wants as, you know, thinking that, um, her time is, is still to come, you know, and that it hasn't, you know, whether, or she has no control over it, but it's just, it's what, it's destiny. It's what's meant to be. And I also think that she uses that as an excuse to, like we were saying before, do the terrible things she's doing um, to other people. But I think what she fails to realize, maybe because she believes so strongly in fate is the effect on others that her actions can have. Um, That, you know, while maybe she views things like that, other people are very aware of her direct, um, her direct activity or or, um, influence on, you know, uh, doing these terrible things. And so, yeah, I can see that. Um, so really, you know, she said, I just want to be loved, but she's the only, she's the one, um, fate has nothing to do with it in this case. She's the one responsible for why no one loves her um, because of her own actions. So it's kind of ironic, I guess, in that sense. Um, so anyway, yeah, interesting wrap up to that. And um, I think the obvious thing is that, you know, first thing next episode, I have a feeling she's going to be confronted with her lie. And so we'll really see how all the freaks act at that point, you know, mm-hmm. how her... Her babies act at that point. Mm-hmm. Now let's jump over to the Dandy storyline with the twins. Um, we open with uh, Danny or Dandy and Gloria at dinner, and they have a new maid. Mm-hmm. And this was hilarious. Where he says, "I liked Dora better," <laughs> and then Gloria says, "Hindsight's twenty twenty, dear." Francis <laughs> uh, Conrad gets the best lines of. Oh, she's she does. Every season she gets the best lines. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And she delivers them so well. That was hysterical. Dandy, Um, darling. Dandy, honey. (laughs) And then she gives him that full tray on a silver tray full of condoms. Yeah. (laughs) Some prophylactics, dear. Oh, my gosh. But Dandy loves the twins. He says he would never defile defile them. Um, Why? And then he, you know, he starts yelling at Mother about, how he, because she calls him freaks, and he says, "So am I. Um, when I'm with them, I feel normal." And how he's going to go marry the twins? Why does he feel so differently towards the twins? Um, what is it about the twins? Excuse me, that makes him um, not want to like basically brutally murder them, like he feels toward everybody else. Right. I think. I mean, part of it is his. He was inbred, <laughs> so mm-hmm. he's just delusional and has a mental disability. But I think the other part of it is he feels as we saw when he tried to become part of the freaks he just feels like he belongs with people who aren't accepted in society or have dark pasts or dark histories or dark souls which as we've seen a lot of the background for um some of the uh, players at the at the freak show they've had some pretty messed up stuff happen in their lives and i think he wants that or tries to feel like that later on we hear him talk about the darkness in him and you know how he needs to embrace that but as far as why the girl specifically, maybe it's his, it's his first, you know, crush that helps sometimes. I don't know. Right. I mean, because it sounds. I mean, we learned in the past that Gloria has brought around suitors before for him, and he didn't really have any interest in women 
or men. He didn't have any interest in anybody in that way at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of asexual, um, but I, he doesn't have. Uh, he certainly doesn't have sexual feelings toward them. It's more like they represent an idea. Right. Um, maybe they kind of represent the innocent freak that he wishes he was mm-hmm. um, instead mm-hmm. of like the tainted instead of the tainted freak that he is, kind of. Um, and maybe, you know, when he's with them, he feels, obviously he feels normal, he says, when he's with them. And so it's somehow they are able to um, convey kind of that, in, or, or um, he feels cathartic in that sense being with them. Um, but we realize quickly that they don't quite feel the same way. That does. Um, she's writing in her diary that she's happy and she's actually, she says she's in love with Dandy, but I think she's just more in love with, you know, how Dandy treats them. Right. Like, uh, perfect. You know, he brings in that huge platter of food that has all the different stuff on it and RC starts Toma. feeding her. Yeah. And starts feeding her oh, caviar. Um, and she believes he's a gentleman and that he's her soulmate, blah, 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 blah. And of course, Dot thinks the exact opposite. She sees them essentially as slaves and uh, wonders what Dandy's dark intentions await. And, you know, kind of the um, interesting part of this, of course, is that it's her comments here, her anticipation of the dark intentions that ends up kind of bringing forth his dark intentions when he breaks into her diary later. But um, he reads an article to them about separated twins. And Dot realizes that Dandy has the money for them to have the surgery. And then, of course, she has this whole fantasy about Jimmy you know, visiting her when she's just a normal person after Beth's dead. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really care too much about Beth. No. <laughs> um, but she kind of thinks that Dandy could be, you know, the key to setting themselves free through the surgery. Now, uh, what did Dandy just read this article to them because it was interesting? Or do you think, I mean, I don't, he would not want them to have a surgery because he likes their freakishness, right? Yeah, I think he just read it to them out of, hey, this is interesting. Yeah, not to plant any seeds in their head, but I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of hard. I, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm sure at this point he's just struggling to find conversation mm-hmm. pieces with them and stuff like that. Um, you know, he goes to the pharmacist to buy all the different um, two of each makeup case and brush and everything Headbands. for them, which is yeah, which is also when uh, Paul sees mm-hmm. him and kind of gets suspicious that the girls are, are right. over there. The two headbands is like, okay, buddy, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Right. Um, so interesting question that I think Dot brings up here where they talk about, you know, and this is a little bit about fate too, when they talk about whether or not as, you know, Siamese twins, whether they are God's will or God's cruel joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of a, you know, we're bringing forth the question, are they fated? You know, did, was it just, you know, a, freak accident in their genetics that made them this way or was it like intentional fate that made them this creature and that's kind of where fate plays into it even more and dandy is obviously interested in reading dot's secret diary which is her her one private place from bet um why does bet dot feel so almost cold about the potential of bet dying in this hypothetical surgery it seems like she has kind of maybe not this ambition to be famous like uh, Bet does, but she does have this yearn to be independent, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the crush on Jimmy has only uh, um, exacerbated the whole situation that she's in, being stuck with her sister. Yeah, I agree with that. And 
I think that clearly she values not being a freak and being um, free as she sees it more than she values the life of her sister, I guess. It's so sad. <laughs> it is sad. I mean, we have a lot of very selfish characters um, in this season. Now, um, Dan, you know, they, Dandy wants to hear the secrets in the diary. So he wants to exchange secrets. Yeah. And that's when uh, he tells Bet and Dot that he's the one who killed Twisty and saved all the kids. Uh huh. <laughs> sure. Um. Yeah. So he, and that's when Dot accuses him of lying, and he gets really pissed off. Obviously, so he's trying obviously to like be heroic and make that heroic impression, and Dot does not believe him for a second. And Dot should really uh, be have been more careful here because she sets him off. Um, um, what is I'm only going to assume going to be you know a continued serial killer rampage. Hmm. But he gets angry and he, he you know, um, it makes you wish that they could have just said something to settle him a little bit. Like that they killed their, well, I didn't want to tell Dandy that, I suppose. But um, anyway, they, they could have satiated him just a little bit but so he doesn't go crazy again. But uh, he's, you know, crying in his room, so upset because once they sneak out, he's so intent on, on getting into their secrets that he reads Dot's diary. And that's how we, you know, we learn that, well, we already knew that Dot says all these terrible things about him and how boring he is and how terrible he is and how she's using him. And I just also want to say how hilarious Dandy's bedroom is every time I see it, like with all the like super giant stuffed animals and stuff (laughs) like that. Dandy dear, I got you some RC Cola. (laughs) (laughs) and so uh, he gives this big like a really good monologue that i want to ask you about he talks about how you know when he was younger his mother took him to the utah desert when he had tuberculosis to get they because they always say that fresh dry air was like good for tuberculosis because tuberculosis is like a disease in your lungs and you need you know this clean um smog-free air is was one of the treatments back in the day for that and so he describes himself as being similar to the Utah desert, that he's dry and kind of barren inside and that he, you know, he can't feel. Um, and that his, but then he says, you know, just like the desert, his purpose is to bring death. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I mean, what you thought about his whole, his whole speech here. Um, the two things I took away from it. One is he's a selfish mother ever. <laughs> He like he when he complains to his mom, I think it's his mom, and he says like you need to walk in my shoes or something like that. It's like okay, dude, you've got a pretty sweet life. Selfish guy, number one. Number two is yeah, he says he must accept the emptiness as a blessing. Uh, so I guess he's been trying to fight this emptiness a lot, and 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 his purpose is to bring death. So I he's just so I mean it's, he's got a he's a psychopath. He mm-hmm. he has a mental disability. That's the, what I he, took from it. Yeah, and he hasn't exactly tried all that hard to uh, fight this uh, emptiness inside of him because he kind of he was embracing it up until Twisty died, basically. And um, I guess he kind of was with Bet and Dot because we assume you know they were there for a little while, and he obviously didn't go on any rampages and stuff. But that ended really relatively. You know, it wasn't easy to turn him back to like accepting his emptiness or whatever. Right. So. He, he's just, you know, he's a sociopath. And I, I mean, they say that, you know, serial killers and stuff lack empathy, um, sociopaths lack empathy. And that's kind of what makes them, you know, 
so what makes it so easy for them to kill and clearly that's what he's saying here right is that he doesn't have those natural feelings of em empathy inside of him he's it's, he's barren inside he doesn't feel that way um Instead, it seems like he gets maybe a thrill out of killing people of some mm -hmm. kind, or at least it, maybe not even a thrill, maybe it just like slightly amuses him for a right. time. And so um, he pulls that knife out of the, it, it, when he was pulling that knife out of the chest, it was kind of like, well, I thought he was going to pull the twisty mask back out. Like, Oh, me too. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So I think that that was a very short recess from his serial killer spree. He's about to jump back in on that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, their little storyline ends with Jimmy at the door. Um, wanted to talk to Dandy and basically coming to find the girls. And it yep. seems like Dandy is, I mean, what do you think Dandy's going to do here? What do you think is going to happen to the girls? I don't know. I think, I think it might start out civilized actually. <laughs> I, I, I think really he might give him back, back because now that he's pissed that they don't, you know, that dot feels that way. Maybe he'll just give him back or something. Yeah. Like he's done with them and that'll cause yeah. more of a rift probably between bet and dot. Right. And so, yeah, because obviously, well, and also, I don't know, the dot's even going to be happy with that because she wanted to stay with Dandy so he could pay for the surgery. Right. So that'll be interesting to see what their reaction is to Jimmy showing up. And of course, that'll have major effects on Elsa, which is another thing we're looking mm -hmm. forward to. Now, the last little piece I want to talk to you about is um, Stanley, Stanley and, and Maggie. Mm -hmm. mm. So they, you know, they meet outside the freak show and... Um, they Stanley basically wants a quick payday. He wants to send some freak, um, some part of a freak, you know, some exhibit for the museum back to Philadelphia. So that way he can get some money real fast. And so he says, Oh, I want to cut off Jimmy's hands and send those back. And, um, Maggie, uh, clearly has feelings for Jimmy and doesn't want to be cutting off his hands anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And so she instead suggests a mop a tea, which I thought was like way more vicious. And I know I was like, damn, this little helpless. Yeah. Little Our... Helpless tiny woman. And then, and then we go through this whole sequence where she like, it's another fantasy about how it would happen. In the giant jar, and she's slowly yeah, drowning. I, and I like, was oh, like, and he's holding her head down. It was disturbing. I, I wrote, I, I will hate Esmeralda, Maggie Esmeralda, if she kills Mapati. I will hate her so much. Oh, absolutely. Especially um, how sweet it is. Like, oh, like I, how sweet oh, Mapati is, like hugging her and giving her a kiss. And, oh, oh. Right. So, so when you know, Maggie actually comes yeah, to collect her, she's super excited <laughs> to, like, in the middle of the night, she's like super excited to be like, where are we going? A party. And, you know, Maggie. <laughs> What does Maggie say? Like, or, uh, we're going to go collect butterflies. And so then, you know, she's just, Ma Petite's making little butterflies with her hands. Oh, my God. That whole thing, when when she puts her hands up and they're fluttering and doing that with the little nails. Oh, oh my gosh. As like, Maggie puts her in the jar and prepares to dump liquid in on her. <laughs> um, Did you think and, she was going to go through with it? No. I, 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 did not, I did not think she was going to go through with it because... You know, that would obviously, you couldn't come back from that. You know, I think I, I just had the feeling that, you know, we see Maggie slowly becoming more endeared toward Jimmy and, and the rest of the freaks. I think she starts, is like, is getting to know them, enjoy their company. And like you were saying, if she did that, we, there's no way we could forgive her character. That would be mm -hmm. unforgivable. Right. And so I was, I thought maybe something was going to happen that would interrupt it or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but pleasantly, we realized that she uh, actually just doesn't do it. She saves her. Yep. I mean, what did you think was going to happen there? I, I was just praying it wasn't going to happen. I, I really, but when she pulled out and she was about to pour it, I was like, uh, but when it cut away, I was like, okay, she's not going to do it. She's not going to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, and I was hoping that Stanley wasn't in that barn also or wherever that right. building was because he would do it. Oh, no. You know. If Stanley was there, she would have been dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And when she carries her and brings her back and Eve and Paul are like, is it Paul? No, even Jimmy are freaking yeah. out trying to find her. And then mm-hmm. here they come walking back. I was like, ah. Oh. My petite. Yeah, no, that I know that was that was a happy moment when they, How, like, you know, we find out she's not missing. And we didn't talk about, it, but when Elsa like picks her up and cuddles with her in bed, it's so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> she is. She is really sweet. It's weird um, though because that's like a twenty-two-year-old woman. Also, r- yes, <laughs> right, not a baby, <laughs> but she is a very cute twenty-two-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and her couple things I want to ask you Elsa, about, oh, Miss Elsa. Yeah. I can give you your water bottle or hot bot water bottle. I don't know. Okay, sorry. I could do a whole show on my petite. <laughs> um, let's talk. Okay, Esmeralda, you know, pulls Jimmy aside and says that she wants to run away with him, and they finally kiss. And so, what do you kind of, uh, what did you gain from this moment as far as right. like reading into um, Maggie? I think after this moment, the line has been drawn that Maggie is a good character, and she's she's mm-hmm. not she's not a villain. Um, and then the the following sequence between her and Stanley completely delineated the two between uh, one is going to be good, Maggie, and then Stanley is absolutely going to be a villain. So we have Dandy, Elsa, and Stanley as villains now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think when Maggie made that decision not to mm-hmm. kill Ma yeah. Petit, that was kind of her um, – awakening into being yeah a good character and i think you're right i think that'll continue and then you know stanley right after that you're right stanley confronts her and um he's a jerk wants he wants to hack off jimmy's hands and i don't think that there's no way maggie's gonna let that happen maybe Mm -hmm. she's gonna get give stanley i don't know why she feels so indebted really to stanley at this point or like yeah she doesn't just agreed i mean there's some holes there yeah why he's able to i mean maybe that's a background because we haven't really gotten a background story on them maybe Mm -hmm. that's coming right um, we'll understand a little bit that relationship because the way he he's kind of able to manipulate her so easy mm-hmm. makes you wonder what the backstory is there. Maybe she's indebted to him for some reason. Right? Who knows? Um, so obviously, I mean, a couple things here. Do you think that Maggie and Jimmy are going to run away? Not yet, because we still have half a season to go. <laughs> or if they do, it'll be <laughs> short lived. <laughs> do you remember when Maggie and Kyle ran away in season? Or sorry, not Maggie. Um, uh. Kyle and um, the character that was played by um, Violet. No, Violet's from season one. What was her name in last season? Thaisa Farmiga's character. You're right, but oh, whatever her shit. character's name was in last season. Yeah. Remember when the two of them like ran away part of mid season or like last season and then came back so yeah. fast? Yep. <laughs> I hope they don't do that again. Yep. There's a lot of like wanting to run off together, but having an obligation that prevents you from doing it. Yeah. And it's a recurring theme here. Um, so I agree with you. They're not going to run away. Um, what's going to happen with Stanley, do you think? He's going to go rogue, probably. He'll realize that he's lost Maggie. He, he, might, uh, he might try to get her to do one more thing for him, but he's going to, I think he's going to get, he's going to get one freak at some point. I think, I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Um, so another wrap up question I have here for you is, is Paul going to survive this? I really hope so, because after that episode, he was phenomenal. I love that character. He's a great guy. Um, and I think he he he's he was the one that was kind of stirring the pot, getting everyone to open their eyes and see Elsa for what she really is. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't so. I don't think he's going to. 
I don't think he's going to die either because I feel like if they were going to kill him, they would have done it in this episode. The fact mm-hmm. that he's he didn't die in this episode it makes me think that he's going to pull, pull yeah. through, even though that was a brutal wound like in his abdomen that mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it, without any doctor uh, help from a doctor or anything like that, I that would have killed him, yeah. I have no doubt. Um, how is Elsa going to redeem herself with the freaks when they find out about the twins? She won't. I don't think she will. Or, or she's gonna. it's going to have to be something like the ultimate sacrifice. But I don't know if she's up for that. Because she's too selfish and self-involved and too too much of an egomaniac. Mm-hmm. Do you so think I want to ask you. I think that that's probably the most likely thing, and I think I mean I feel like that's kind of something we've seen in American Horror Story before is the ultimate sacrifice in one form or another. So mm-hmm. yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if she does some like um, yeah. uh, Sister Jude, um, like walks off into the woods or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so i i agree with you i think that there's gonna have to be maybe the only way at this point is some ultimate sacrifice of, of one kind or another um but she's gonna have to be dealing with some backlash for at least the next couple episodes mm-hmm. i have a feeling it'll be fun to see her and ethel at odds yeah because now ethel's not gonna forgive for it all which is good because ethel shouldn't and yeah. you know she shouldn't have been so hard on jimmy and then jimmy shouldn't have been so hard on paul for bringing it up in the first place yeah. i don't understand why they all defended when Eth- he slapped Elsa, so... paul i was like okay that was over that was the top. So yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was so ridiculous. campy. So some overall theme ish questions I have for you. We had an email come in from Matthew that um, said that he felt like ever since Twisty died, the stakes on the show um, didn't seem quite as high, and that it seemed like it was moving forward a little bit slower. I was wondering what your opinion was on this. If you agreed with that, um, hmm. or you know, how, where you feel about the stakes. Right. Where are you on the stakes right now? Yeah, the stakes seem a little low. Uh, but the, the only time they got raised, honestly, this uh, this episode was Ma Petite possibly dying. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, with Paul even doing the spinning wheel thing. I mean, that was like a one one trick pony type uh, uh, thrill or stakes. But I, I don't think either of us thought that we we're going to lose Paul. Um, I, I tend to agree that's gotten a little slower. Um, I would also say I think the show is relying a little too heavily on these fantasy sequences to scare us or raise the stakes, even though they're just fantasy sequences. And that's yeah. kind of bugging me a little bit now, <laughs> um, as opposed to when Twisty was around, you're like, oh, crap, he actually kills people and they die. So I agree yeah. with that. I agree with that, too. And I think that in order to raise the stakes, someone is like someone's going to have to actually die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in order for us to take Dandy seriously as a serial killer, he's going to actually have to kill somebody um, that matters. You know, I mean, obviously, we in the short time we knew him, we liked Matt Bomer's character, mm-hmm. but he was a brand new character. Right. It's like, you know, you can't just bring in someone brand new that he kills really quickly, even as gruesome as that was. Right. Um, It'd be it cool has to they... be somebody we know well enough to really care about. You exactly. Know? If they developed matt bomer's character for like a two or three episode arc as um um michael chiklis's uh dell's um like lover that that would have worked for me yeah because it's someone that we liked he seemed like a nice guy anyway but yeah i agree it has to be someone of value to the to the audience exactly um and so I, i agree with that too and i hope that that's coming um you know, it disappoint. You know, I obviously, as much as I like Mabati and Paul, it just it disappointed me again that it's like, you know, you have these characters again and again come so close to death and then survive. You right. know, um, which I understand that probably the writers like really enjoy. You know, they like the actors, they like the characters they created, but 
you know, shows like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead and all mm-hmm. these like really good shows, what makes them so compelling is that they're willing to like, yeah, raise the stakes like that. Yeah. The, um, the one thing that I was just thinking about too is, you know, Meep's death really kind of hit us pretty hard. Um, and I, Jimmy had that whole diatribe about how he was going to go take uh, take down the police department and, and expose it, and, and now he's just running away <laughs> with yeah. Maggie. So I don't know. He was, it's like he forgot about his his storyline there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever happened to his hero drive? Um, I mean, I think they're important questions. And the last thing I was going to ask you is. You know, where do you feel, I know that we don't really care that much, you know, we feel like Elsa's a big villain right now, but where do you, where does she come down on the Jessica Lange scale? Because, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, we've liked a lot of her characters in the past, and I have to be honest with you, this, right, at this point, Elsa might be my least favorite, um, my least favorite character that Jessica Lange has played in any of the four seasons, which is too bad, because this is Jessica Lange's final season, so I mean, there's time to, there's still half a season to redeem that, but it, just she's not as compelling ridiculous no and she doesn't have those human qualities that Mm -hmm. you know you want these characters to be really complicated but i i I mean and maybe it's just how the character is written i don't feel that bad for her i don't feel yeah it's and it's not uh, for lack of her acting ability she's phenomenal (laughs) and maybe it's just you know she isn't written as three-dimensional as we'd like her to be or as her previous characters have been i mean the the previous characters are amazing and you know who knows we have seven more episodes hopefully Mm -hmm. we can dig a little more into her and really get to feel something for her yeah and i mean even if she goes like full villain or something like that you know then i mean but just somewhere in between instead of like you know giving these annoying tantrums about how nobody trusts her and stuff like that it's like I, yeah, I was not a fan of her in this episode. Let's just say not a fan of Elsa in this episode. Yeah. So overall, I don't know. Um, any, any final questions that I missed? I think you hit everything. Cool. Okay. Well, how many sad clowns are you thinking? Uh, three and a half. I, I'm with you. Um, I think I'm going to give this three and a half too. I think there was a lot of room for improvement, but, um, yeah, I really liked Paul. I really liked Paul's acting. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was great. And, I, you know, I, I've, I, of course, I, I always like the dandy stuff, and I thought that... Yeah, that's the best storyline they've got going. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think the two biggest flaws in this one, and I loved a lot of it, were relying on these fantasy death sequences, and then also, all of a sudden, you know, hearing from our characters how much they care about the twins and how they miss the girls. Like, what? I never saw that. Like, it's telling us too much information that we're supposed to care about, but we've never witnessed anything that shows that. So I don't care at all about it actually. And stop telling me. Show yeah, it to too me. much, too much telling, not enough showing. I yeah. agree with that as well. So, all right. So that's seven out of 10 sad clowns, but I think there's room for improvement. And, yep. you know, we're always optimistic. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we'll look forward to, to next week's episode for sure. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, Hopefully preview more Paul. Of, uh, I think we do, um, I think in the clips for next episode, some of the things we see, just a quick quick overview for people who didn't have a chance to see it. Um, we see more scenes between Maggie and Paul, so we know he's still in it. Um, and we see Maggie's – or sorry, not Maggie. I, I apologize. Once again, uh, the candy striper. Yeah. We see the candy striper in Paul. And um, 
their love kind of continuing, but then it seems like her dad is going to show up again to whether he actually shows up at the freak show or something to kind of get in the wedge himself between them. Right. Uh, maybe he, maybe he will kill Paul and maybe that will raise the stakes. And maybe, you know, maybe that'll mean that much more because, you know, we'll have liked him so much because of this episode and how good he was. Right. And it'll matter that much more when he's dead. Um, it looks like Dell kills somebody in or coming up soon, or at least is like gets close to killing somebody. So there's another potential raise of the stakes. It could be Desiree, which I think we had a uh, reader even suggest that might be the case, mm-hmm. um, which I could see. That'd be interesting. We see I didn't miss them at all this episode. I didn't. I forgot they were on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they weren't in it at all this episode. After you know they played a huge role last episode, mm-hmm. and then um, the twins are going to blackmail Elsa. And so wondering where that's going, maybe the twins blackmail Elsa because they don't tell, you know, everybody else in the freak show where they were. Um, right. And what Elsa did to them, but then they use that to leverage something against from Elsa her coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So some cool things to look forward to. Uh, once again, thank you guys for joining us. And um, Chris, where can people follow you more in the upcoming week? Twitter and Instagram at Chris Husted. What about you, Tyler? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well at TJMoss11. As always, guys, check us out on Facebook.com slash This American Horror Story Podcast. Email us at This American Horror Story at gmail.com. And we really appreciate your ratings and your reviews at uh, This American Horror Story Podcast on iTunes. Once again, thank you for joining us. And um, until next week, happy hauntings. Sing around.